Hello and welcome. My name is Sophia Besch and you're listening to the CER podcast. Hello and welcome to the series on the economics of populism. My name is Christian Odendahl. I'm the chief economist at the Center for European Reform. And today I'm in conversation with Martin Wolf of the Financial Times and Barry Eichengreen from University of Berkeley. Um, the topic of this episode is, is macroeconomic policy or macroeconomic policy failures uh, behind the rise of populism. Uh, and what do we need to change in macroeconomics to fight back? And I would first like to ask you to give your take in roughly 60 seconds on, on that question, Martin. Well, I think macroeconomic policy failures, as seen by the public, are clearly part of the rise of populism. We had an enormous financial crisis in the West between 2007 and 2009, and then this was followed by uh, another wave of crises in Europe. Uh, these weren't expected. Uh, the, the, the leaders of both the financial sector and the policy makers, monetary policy makers and others, uh, hadn't expected it. They didn't warn people that this could happen, though they responded fairly quickly. The economies had huge recessions. The subsequent growth of our economies has been far slower than it was before. Uh, uh, the unemployment has fallen back again in quite a number of countries. It's still pretty high in many. Uh, and living standards have been nearly stagnant, even in countries which have been quite successful. This combination of events has clearly made a lot of people very unhappy, made them very anxious and made them lose confidence in the wisdom and probity of the people in charge. Right. Would that be your take as well? The way I would put it is that the the global financial crisis and the euro crisis have uh, been central factors contributing to the to the populist backlash. Do the global financial crisis and the euro crisis, as they played out, reflect the uh, failures of macroeconomic policy? They reflect many things, uh, starting, I think, with uh, the creation of the euro itself, starting with uh, um, breakneck financial deregulation in, in the period leading up to 2007-2008. There then is a role, I think, for uh, an underpowered macroeconomic, macroeconomic policy response to the crisis once it developed. But there are a variety of other macroeconomic and financial factors at play. So coming back to that question, uh, what could have been done differently? You, Martin, you said that um, policy responded relatively quickly and probably better than in previous financial crises, but it seems to have been insufficient. Do you think it was first economically uh, realistic to expect uh, more or politically as well? Was it possible politically to have a more forceful or even more forceful macroeconomic policy response? I just think that because I, my, I have no real disagreement with the way Barry's framed it. It's, it's partly about what one means by macroeconomics. But there was clearly a pre-crisis mistake, which was, however you present it, a lack of awareness among relevant policymakers, whether you call them financial policymakers or monetary policymakers, about the fragility that we was creating and the severity of the risks. Um, uh, and the result was a disaster. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think the immediate response, I distinguish in terms of the post-crisis situation between the immediate response and the post-immediate response, if you like. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about the Eurozone. We can discuss that separately. Uh, I think the immediate response, when it was became clear in the autumn of 2008 how dreadful the crisis was, 
was uh, effective and sensible in the sense that they prevented the, the, the complete collapse of the financial system by cons real concerted agreement to do that in September and October of 2008. And thereafter, the central banks pretty generally were very uh, aggressive and fiscal policy was allowed to accommodate what turned out to be absolutely enormous increases in fiscal deficit. So the first year or two, I would say, was pretty good. Then uh, by the time they got to 2010, I think they, they lost their nerve. And the question you're asking, was that necessary and inevitable? Um, I suppose looking back on it, it's sort of politically plausible. People got frightened. They're what I think of as sticker shock when they looked at 10 or 11% of GDP fiscal deficits. They thought the world was going to end. Uh, they said, we've got to stop this. And they started getting very cautious about that, throwing everything onto the monetary policy makers. I think that was an analytical and political mistake, both. Um, could they have done differently? I think they could. Uh, but I can do understand why they chose what I believe were an was a seriously premature austerity, and that was particularly bad in the Eurozone. Yes. Here I think I would distinguish uh, monetary policy on the one hand and fiscal policy on the other. And again, I would distinguish the United States and Europe. Uh, on the monetary front, uh, central banks re responded aggressively uh, in the appropriate manner, but I, they declared victory and began to unwind their, their actions too early, especially in Europe. On the fiscal front, I think it was clear from the outset that they were doing too little, that uh, the Obama stimulus, for example, was significantly underpowered. And the explanation for that was not uh, the crisis in macroeconomics, it was not any failure of analysis, even though we had incomplete information at the end of 2008 on how quickly the U.S. economy was contracting. It was mainly those political constraints that a trillion dollar stimulus was uh, a red line. The political advisors told the incoming president not to go there. And what we ended up was too little to stabilize the economy, putting the onus, as Martin said, on central banks. Of course, critics would argue, well, we can fight this current crisis with means of monetary and fiscal policy aggressively but potentially creating the breeding ground for the next crisis. In fiscal terms, of course, the over-indebtedness of, of governments. In monetary policy terms, the creation of, of financial instability and potentially uh, laying the groundwork for the next financial crisis, which then, so the argument goes, is even worse, and then we get an even bigger populism problem. Um, what would your response be to that, to that line of argument, Martin? Well, again, to just comment on one point, um, I agree very much with Barry that the fiscal deficit, fiscal stimulus could have been bigger here, and but it was not bad, so bad here, but particularly in the US, I wrote that at the time, so it's not retrospective. Still, that could have been worse. I mean, perhaps my expectations weren't as what he has, what is uh, at his level. I think the biggest monetary policy mistakes were in the Eurozone. I mean, beginning to, they were essentially the Eurozone was tightening while the, the crisis was getting worse. The central bank, that was a terrible mistake and Mario Draghi had to reverse that. And there were very big mistakes made in the Eurozone's fiscal and monetary policy. And that is why I think the Eurozone crisis has lasted for so long and had such a terrible consequence. On the question that you raise, my view is basically twofold. 
there, is, there are clearly risks if you operate largely in monetary policy and your main mode of operation is to try and get the credit markets to function again and uh, to move asset prices around that you will create financial fragility of various kinds. There is a risk, it's obvious. And I have two responses. First of all, that risk seems to me far smaller than the risk of allowing um, stagnation to fester for, for years and years. I think that has an immensely damaging economic, social and political consequences. I suppose I'm with Keynes. In the long run, we're all dead, though that's not quite the context in what you meant. So allowing that to dominate what you're doing seems to be unwise. And the second response is there are policy methods, methods that could have perfectly well obviate that danger in large part. And the obvious way is to have larger fiscal deficits and use monetary policy directly in support of the larger fiscal deficits. You're not operating so much via the financial channel. And finally, of course, you, regulation of the financial sector should be designed to, to deal with those extreme financial risks. So I think we could have done what we did on a more aggressive scale with, while managing the financial risks. If your goal here was to provoke a, a violent debate between your two guests, you're not succeeding so far. I, I defer to no one as a critic of the ECB prior to the change in leadership. It's worth recalling, as Martin did, that they raised interest rates following the Bear Stearns crisis. And they raised interest rates again twice in 2011 after it was clear what was happening in Europe. Uh, so monetary policy failures had a lot to do with the severity of the crisis, but they're not failures uh, in macroeconomic analysis or monetary analysis. They were failures of implementation that were, were understood uh, by some at the time. In terms of the response to the crisis, the way I would put it is that crises have consequences. Nobody is going to get off scot-free from going through the greatest financial crisis in 80 years. So the legacy of that has been more debt, a variety of other uh, economic, social, and, and political problems. But I think Martin is right that we headed off the worst possible consequence, which would have could have been unemployment at the level experienced in the 1930s. We had very unhappy political consequences. Final question on um, on financial stability. Um, it seems that, at least over history, it seems that economic crises per se don't lead to rise in right-wing populism, for example, but crises that go hand-in-hand hand with a financial crisis, with banking crisis, that leads to a, to a rise in, in populism. So what makes a financial crisis different um, from a political perspective? Barry is the economic historian, but my perception of it would be that really big economic crises are pretty well always associated with really big financial crises. Uh, so uh, my reading of the economic history, and I looked at this a little over the last century, is the economy goes really wrong if one of two things happens, or both together, one, you get a really big war, uh, and that depends on the nature of the war, uh, and the second, uh, uh, but that's normal, and the second is a financial crisis. So, and the reason is that the the, the effects on the economy of the, are basically the melting down of the financial system are just devastating on many, many, in many different ways. Uh, devastating to confidence, de devastating to the normal processes of intermediation, um, stability and uh, of the monetary system itself, 
Uh, so the combination of events generates panic phenomena of extreme kind, and it takes a very long time um, for economies to recover from all this. So financial crises are very dangerous, and the only point on which I think we might disagree, I think, think of financial sector as part of macroeconomics and our understanding. We, we didn't fully understand the potential risks of this interaction. Clearly, we didn't fully understand, and we are uh, still trying to. I agree that what has tended to turn garden variety recessions into deep slumps has been the collapse of banking and financial systems. So Milton Friedman and Anna Schwartz, the authors of, of probably the most influ influential work in economic history written in the 20th century, are, are remembered for something else, for their monetarist approach to macroeconomics. But what they wrote about slumps was that stability of the banking system is key for maintaining a stable money supply and a stable economy. I think that's right. What gives rise to right-wing populist reactions, Kevin O'Rourke at Oxford and I did some research on this, and the answer is not only a rise in unemployment, but a rise in unemployment that lasts, that, la that accumulates for a period of years. And there, I think there is a role for, for the financial system in making for those kind of deep and long-lasting slumps. Well, thank you very much for taking your time and uh, thank you for listening. If you'd like to see our podcast and this mini-series on the economics of populism, you can subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud for regular updates. Let us also know what you think. Give us a rating and a comment on iTunes and join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag CRPodcast. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. You can find more on our website, cer.org.uk, or follow us on Twitter at CER underscore London. <laughs>